Hello, and welcome to The Queers Are Watching. I'm Hannah. I'm Sarah. And today we're going to be talking about two different films that are actually kind of the same film. <laughs> um, one's from 2005 and one's from 2017. And if we're talking about queer films from 2005, <laughs> I'm sure you have an inkling that it might be Brokeback Mountain. Woo! And it is! <laughs> so you were right. Congratulations. I'm so excited. I'm so excited that we're talking about this because I just have to tell all of you that Hannah has never seen it before until we watched it for the podcast. Yes, this was my first time watching Brokeback Mountain. Brokeback I don't know Mountain. why I had never watched it before. I think it was like everyone hyped it up as being so incredibly sad that I wasn't ready to watch it, even though I watch sad shit all the time. It's really sad. I guess I was just expecting to be like completely emotionally broken. <laughs> um... But it that didn't happen, which is good. It was a very sad movie, but um, I'm fine. Just so everyone knows, <laughs> I'm okay. Um, but yeah, we're gonna we're gonna start with um, Brokeback Mountain, and then a little later, we'll talk about its 2017 counterpart, which is called God's Own Country. So, Sarah, why don't you tell us all about Brokeback Mountain? Okay, so I'm gonna give you all the rundown on Brokeback Mountain. It's rated R, 134 minutes. It's from 2005. It was directed by Ang Lee. And the screenplay was by Osana and Larry McMurdy. It's based on a short story by Annie Prolu. I don't know how to say this lady's name. I'm sorry, y'all. Um, her name is spelled P-R-O-U-L-X. I'm not good with French, so. But anyway, it's from a 1997 story that she wrote. And it had a budget of $14 million. In North America, it grossed $83 million, And abroad, it grossed $95. So worldwide, it was $178 million. Its description is, it's an American neo-Western romantic drama about two cowboys involved in a secret relationship over the course of their lives. IMDb has it at a 7.7 out of 10. Rotten Tomatoes gave it an 87%. Metacritic has it also at 87. And it stars Heath Ledger as Ennis Del Mar, Jake Gyllenhaal as Jack Twist, aka Jack Nasty. <laughs> Anne Hathaway as Lorraine Twist, my, Michelle Williams as Alma Del Mar, and also you'll see uh, Linda Cardellini, Anna Faris, David Harbour, and Kate Mara in there as well. I had no idea when we started watching this how many stars were in this movie. I knew it was Heath Ledger, and I knew it was Jake Gyllenhaal, but all the other faces that started popping up, I was like, what? <laughs> it was very exciting. It is a surprise. When you see them, you're like, I had no idea they were in this movie. Because all the marketing and like all the... I don't know, hype about it. They only talk about the two main characters. And I guess I just, for some reason, I didn't think of Anne Hathaway as being that big of a star in 2005. Like, I think of her as, like, just starting out. But yeah, I, I think she had already done The Princess Diaries by then. Yeah, I feel like that was, like, 2002 or something, something like that. Something like that. But... I don't know. It was surprising to see her in such a, like, big-name film, I guess. It might have been 2004, TBH, that she did Princess Diaries. Oh, Princess Diaries, really? I'm pretty sure. Okay. So she was an even fresher face, perhaps. Which is, like, wild to go from doing Princess Diaries to, like, showing your boobs in a gay movie. Yeah. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> kind of a jump. <laughs> Just a little hop, skip, and a jump. <laughs> so, y'all, I have some pretty cool statistics about this movie. It's the eighth highest grossing romantic drama since 1980, and it's the fifth highest grossing Western since 1979. Whoa. So I don't know how old that statistic is. It might have been blown out of the water by 
310 to Yuma, and what is the other one? There was one that was released earlier. True Grit? True Grit, yeah. yeah. That was a remake. That was that was a really good movie. I haven't seen it. I think you should watch it. It was really good. And I, I should, yeah. like hate westerns. So I don't like westerns either. Well, you'll like it because it's okay. fantastic. <laughs> so those might have changed, but still, that, it would still put it in the top ten. That's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. I was really shocked by that. Um, also, it's the top grossing film for Focus Features, which put it out. What? Yeah. I mean, it made a shit ton of money. So. Focus Features is, like, everywhere, too. <laughs> and my most hated statistic of all time, it won three Oscars, but it got stiffed for the Best Picture Award because Crash won that year. And I was telling Hannah before this podcast, like, I don't think Crash deserved an Oscar, and I'm very upset about that. It's like, I joke around and I say that everything is homophobia, but this is literal homophobia. <laughs> <laughs> but apparently it's, like, adjacent to colorblind feel-good film. Um, it's, like, sad tragedy, but then at the end it's, like, remember, feel good, because if you just all remember that you're similar, there's no more racism. Yay, we Yay. solved it. <laughs> You were also saying that it's a non-linear storyline, which I feel like at the time was like a big old thing. Like, ooh, it's such art if yeah. you do a non-linear storyline. They're like, look at all, all these stories converge. Ooh, we're cool. You know what? I love that shit. Fuck me up. Which is why <laughs> we watched Drifting Flowers and loved it so much. But that was like a purposeful non-linear storyline. And the, there were other things about the movie that were also very artfully done. So There's nothing artful about Crash. Okay. It's just sort of generic. Yeah, and you know, as someone that reads a lot of weird modern shit, I think I feel the same way about novels when someone's trying to make it nonlinear just kind of for the sake of being special. It kind of irritates me. Yeah. If you're going to make something nonlinear, it really needs to have a specific purpose that ties into the character or the plot or something. Don't just be like, Oh, this is boring, so I'm just going to shuffle everything, just because then it'll be a little better. <laughs> the sign of a terrible writer. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, if your plot is not that interesting, then maybe just let it be. Don't. Because <laughs> it's it makes it more painful to try to shuffle it around just to be interesting. Um, now that that rant is over, <laughs> um, back to the actual movie that we're talking about. Okay. We'll start with commentary on the visuals, the direction. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, me first? How do you feel okay. about it? Um, I loved all of the footage of them in the wilderness, of course, mm -hmm. but I just love that kind of thing. Um, Wyoming is beautiful. Do you know mm -hmm. if it was filmed in Wyoming? I don't, but I can Google it while we talk. Okay. So while you're Googling that, which is something we should have Googled before, but you know us by now. Um, we don't do that. It's not how we do things here. Um, it was beautiful. And I liked the way that it was contrasted with the shots of like the tight enclosed spaces that seemed to represent their, um, quote unquote, heterosexual lives. Um, like, for instance, when uh, Jack is hooking up with uh, Laureen, is it, mm -hmm. um, in the car, it's, like, very tight and cramped. Um, and then when Ennis is home with his family, they live, like, in a very small apartment, and it's very tight. And a lot of the shots are very 
tight and close up on faces. Um, whereas like when they're out in the wilderness, it's this, these beautiful wide shots with lots of space. Um, so that feels meaningful. It was filmed in the Canadian Rockies in Southern Alberta, as most things that are outdoors are filmed in America. Okay, well... They just go straight to Canada and uh, just bypass us. Pretend Wyoming is beautiful. <laughs> um, it is very beautiful. And I agree. I, I feel like that was very purposeful that the wide open shots were to say, like, here's where you can be yourself. Like, this is an open space. Yes. And then, like, the close-ups are, like, how their lives seemed, like... Because they were, like, one person... Ennis was a little poorer than Jack. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like in Jack's frames, like the frame was cluttered. Like there was a lot of stuff in the background. And in Ennis's frames, like as much as there was like only very little, he lived in like a small enclosed area. So everything was really close up on his face. It was really like from the chest up, like there weren't a lot of full body shots. And it was like to create that illusion of like claustrophobia. Yeah, and I I think I had written that down, and then it got to the point where they're in the motel room together, and I was like, oh, this throws off my whole theory, because it's also very tight and close shot of them, like, laying in bed together, but then I thought about it more, and I was like, no, because that's when they decided to bring their relationship kind of into that part of their lives, which which would have felt, I'm sure, very scary. Although they do act like morons and, like, are not... They are not as scared as they should be. Yeah. Um, But it's still kind of... They brought their relationship into this kind of um, traditional domestic space that it previously wasn't. Like, their whole relationship was about the wilderness and no attachments to any other people, no obligations to other people. Um, they were quite stupid with the way they were handling it when they like were out of Brokeback Mountain, which is the name of the location that they're at, by the way. Like they go to a mountain to sheep herd together and it's called Brokeback Mountain. And then they go back to their suburban lives and they marry women and they have families. And when they meet up again as those men who have wives and kids and they live in like the suburbs, they are like not. Like, they're so, I don't, I guess it's, like, just to show, like, how in love they are with one another. But, like, you can't go outside and make out with your past lover with the door right there. Like, of course your wife is going to come and see you. Like, yeah, of course she's looking out the window because you were acting shady as fuck before you left. Oh, yeah, he was waiting around all day drinking 25 beers and looking at the window just to see when he would show smoking. up. Like, <laughs> he was clearly having a nervous breakdown. Yeah. And your wife knows he's like, oh, just my fishing buddy. Just waiting for my fishing buddy to show up. No big deal. I'm totally fine. Oh my God. He was so casual. He needed a Valium (laughs) so bad. He needed like five Xanax. Like I felt kind of bad for him. But at the same time, like you wanted to get caught. Like, yeah. Cause then like literally he just goes outside when he gets there and they just start making out right outside the apartment, which is. Wild. Very stupid. And then they, like, just go to some random motel. Like, it's not clear if it's, like, far away or not, either. Yeah, I think Sarah said, like, gee, I hope that's pretty far away from their town, because it's a small community. Everyone knows everyone. That would be wild if yeah. they're just, like... Someone's gonna approach Alma in the grocery store and be like, did you see Ennis and Jack in that motel? <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah, so they're not the brightest. Um, <laughs> and I think that is supposed to be, like... Oh, they're so in love that they don't even, they're not even thinking about anything else, which I can see. 
but like it also makes me think of how oftentimes when queer people come out a little later in life and they maybe haven't had that queer relationship yet I'll say we because I did this too like you you tend to act kind of dumb like because you haven't had like a certain experience before and so it's almost like you're a kid and you don't know how to handle it and I think that's especially true for people that that just discover themselves later in life because you're starting all over yeah that's true it's like you're a teenager again and you like can't you have no judgment suddenly also not to to say like queer people have no judgment but (laughs) that's like low-key kind of true (laughs) just throwing it out there also like I feel like if you've only ever had heterosexual relationships then you might think like oh if I, I can kiss this person and there are no consequences like if I do whatever I want in front of my own house but like the reality is like your wife could spy on you like she does or someone can walk by and you can be the target of a hate crime. And that's not necessarily something you would think of unless you have been the target of a hate crime. Right. Yeah. So it depends. It depends on what kind of life experience you've had, not only with like who you've been partnered with, but what kind of experiences you've had in the world in general. Which these men have really not had too many experiences in general. Yeah. They're, they're kind of portrayed as like simple not simple as in stupid but simple as in like low maintenance yeah. kind of dudes the basics of a cowboy yeah um i also want to point out that there was no dialogue in the film for four minutes and 33 seconds and i had never noticed that before like for some reason i had just noticed it when we watched it together and i think it's because i was wondering like oh, I, I wonder who gets introduced first, and I couldn't remember because I hadn't seen it in a while. And then I was like, wow, it's been a really long time, and it's just scenery, like scenery upon scenery upon scenery in the beginning. And even, like, when you see a person on the screen, there's no dialogue. And the first person that talks is not a main character. It's the guy that hires them to Shepard. Who, um, who was on screen first? I think Jack was on screen first because his truck pulled in and he... Well, it's hard to say. Because I guess... So Ennis is waiting there by the office. Like, they show the office, and Ennis is waiting outside, but you can't see him. It's really far away. And then Jack pulls up in his truck, and he gets out, and you see both of them on screen together. Okay. All right. And the first dialogue spoken is, you pair of deuces looking for work, you best get your scrawny asses in here, is what he says. Like, it's... (laughs) Like, I don't know if that's meant to, like, set up, like, we're in cowboy country, because the way he said it was, like, okay. Also, paradeuces? Like, what does that mean? Am I just, like, not country enough to know what that means? Or is it, like, an old expression? This takes place in the 60s, by the way. The 60s through the 70s. Isn't that, like, shit? I don't know. Like, when you say you're dropping a deuce? No, I don't think that's the same thing. No? Okay. I think it's, like, cards. Like, pair of deuces? Like, cards? Oh. But I don't know what that means. Are you Googling it? Yeah. Oh, I guess it means, because, like, aces can be high or low, so the lowest card is a two. So he's saying, like, you fucking lame, ridiculous-looking assholes better get in here. Like, he's like, you guys aren't worth shit, so I need you to get in here. So I was kind of right. He was kind of calling them pieces of shit. Which is, <laughs> I was wrong about, like, the origin of the term. 
I mean, I don't know if that's the origin of the term when you say you're dropping a deuce. So, <laughs> who knows? History's mysteries on that one. We're not looking up the etymology of that, by the way. No, because it's that's it's number two. <laughs> oh, that that's one makes sense. Why, okay. <laughs> I don't know if we're gonna leave this in or not. We'll Discovering see. life lessons. Um, <laughs> here on the quiz are watching. <laughs> we're so smart, y'all. Um, I can't believe I made it thirty years. <laughs> we're two rather educated adults that don't know why we say the things we say. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to stop talking about poop now. Sorry. Um, and keep talking about this movie. Okay. So, yeah, I was noticing the silence at the beginning. And I was noticing the lack of eye contact um, from Jack and Ennis. Like, they, in the whole beginning, they just keep, like, they glance at each other and then they, like, look away. And I wasn't sure if that was supposed to be, like, oh, they're instantly attracted to each other. I don't necessarily think that's the case. But it was just, like, maybe this whole movie was just an exercise in watching, like, weird male interactions that I don't fully understand. Like, yeah. if you're, like it's just wild to me that you're, like, I don't know, you're going to go up into the mountains with someone, but you don't want to look them in the eye for more than a second? Well, because they're masculine. They don't have to get to know each other. Like, is that just they're a men. man thing? Or is it a cowboy thing? Or both? All of the above, probably. Okay. And probably, like, men in the 60s. It starts in 1964. I think it ends in the early 80s. And I just have to, we have to go in this direction. We knew it was going to happen, folks, so strap yourselves in. <laughs> People have always drawn parallels between Brokeback Mountain and Dean and Cass on Supernatural. And I think watching this, um, it cemented it for me. Um because I, I kind of always kind of assumed that the fans that were saying that were, like, really reading into it, which I do all the time, so no judgment. But <laughs> I, after I watched this movie, I was like, no, what the actual fuck are the directors of Supernatural doing if not referencing this movie? Um, and so the, the, I, I just thought of that because of the eye contact thing. Because eye contact is a big thing for Dean and Cass. That and, like, the whole, like, not this last season, but the season before, with the, like, same landscape in the background and just the wide shots of, like, Cass and, like, Dean and just, like, the pining and then, like, Cass's death. And the coat. And the coat. Okay, because, okay, spoiler alert, Jack dies. (laughs) And Ennis ends up with his shirt and his jacket and he keeps it and like smells it (laughs) and dean keeps Cass's trench coat and all but smells it yeah i mean we don't know what he did off screen yeah that's true (laughs) i mean in my heart he definitely smelled it and slept with it in his bed it's also not (laughs) the same the first time he has saved Cass's trench coat yeah so so you know there's that there's also the fact that I was noticing how Ennis's home life is portrayed once he gets married. And it's kind of like this routine of like the kids and the wife and working. And that's the same way that Dean's life with Lisa is portrayed mm-hmm. at the end of beginning of season six. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I, there, there are parallels that I definitely see. Um, 
that's all. That's all I have to say about that. And don't forget, when Cass comes back in the next season, there's a whole episode of them acting like cowboys. That too. (laughs) (sighs) I okayed this. I don't even know what to do or say anymore. (laughs) I'm so tired. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We're so tired. Yeah, I started... I started writing down things in the beginning too of like who I thought was more Dean and who I thought was more Cass. And I think there's elements of Dean in both of them really. Mm-hmm. And I don't see much of Cass in either of them just because it makes sense thinking about it. Cause Cass was really based off of Constantine mm-hmm. um, more than um, anything, else. anything else. So I mean, that makes sense. Like personality wise, like why he wasn't really coming up um, for me, but I saw a lot of Dean and Ennis specifically. Um, yeah. His masculinity is so very fragile. Mm-hmm. His masculinity thing. mask, it's very correct. Um, <laughs> so that's mostly where I saw that. Um, but I did, in Jack, I think the Dean that I see in him is his daddy issues to him. Yeah, he, he's very bitter that his that his father never went to see his rodeo mm-hmm. shows. He was never and, proud of him. Yeah. He was never enough for him, he said. And then also the fact that Ennis is so quiet and reserved and Dean is definitely not that. Like in some in some ways he's like a private person, but he's not necessarily reserved. Like he does use humor and wildness as kind of a coping mechanism for all his issues, which I think is what Jack does as well. Mm-hmm. He's the one with the harmonica and the one that's who always like running around being wild. And Ennis <laughs> is like, why aren't you like, can you relax for two seconds? And no. Jack is like, no, I cannot relax. <laughs> I got a lot of pent-up energy. <laughs> so, I see both. I see Dean in both of them. I see a little Cass in Ennis in that... No, in Jack, sorry. In that Jack chooses to be, like... He's not open about his sexuality, but he's daring. Like, he takes a lot of risks in the movie. And I think, like, Cass takes risks with what he says and what he does with his actions because he doesn't see that as, like, a problem. Like, he doesn't think anyone's going to attack him for being, like, that man's attractive or, like, just whatever he does. He doesn't care. But, like, Jack does something similar, but he knows the consequences. He's just doing it to take risky behavior. And, I mean, I think Cass also, his risky behavior is rebelling against angels. I mean, true. That's his whole identity. But I meant his gay behavior. to, to throw it out the window. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I found Ennis very frustrating as a character. I loved him. I wanted him to experience good things in his life, but he was, I wanted to wring his neck a little bit with his <laughs> fragile masculinity. What um, did I call him? A prideful bastard? You called, her, you called him a prideful bastard, <laughs> which I wrote down. It was so very accurate. Um, like, even in the very beginning, Ennis gets hurt because he comes across a bear and he gets thrown off of his horse and his face is all bloody and fucked up. So when he gets back to camp, um, Jack, like, takes a little washcloth and is trying to, like, help him heal his wounds, which is another <laughs> Dust Seal parallel. <laughs> I'll try to stop, but no guarantees. Um, who am I kidding? I won't try to stop at all. I'll and keep going. I should just be very clear, like, these are not just Dust Seal parallels. These are... Romantic, romantic tropes. tropes like that's yeah. why they're in here this is a romantic movie <laughs> uh, but i'm just i i think it it gets more underlined though because it's specifically a romantic movie between two men yeah and then when the same exact things are you know 
So yes, romantic tropes, but also <laughs> specifically gay romantic tropes. So I don't know what Supernatural thinks they're doing. Anyway, anyway. So <laughs> Jack is trying to like wipe the blood away from Ennis's face. And Ennis just fucking grabs the cloth away from him. And is like, I'll do it. I'm man. I can't be touched by another man or have a tender moment because I'm broken. I was going to say, like, who's going to watch you up in the mountains? But the guy who hired them straight watches them with the binoculars. And by straight, I mean gay. Like, he sees them in some gay activities. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm okay with that. <laughs> like, he didn't fire them because he knew that he needed them. But he also didn't hire them again next year, which I think is rude. <laughs> Literal homophobia. Although I do think that his issue was less of them being gay and more of them, like, not paying attention. Because their job was literally to, like, watch the sheep and make sure nothing happened to them. And they kind of did a shitty job. Yeah, like, after they started into, like, a romantic relationship, like, one of them was supposed to sleep with the sheep at night, and the other one was supposed to stay at camp, but they both stayed at camp and fucked in the tent, so, like... So, literally, they had one job, and they kind of couldn't do it, because they were too busy being, like, gay Gay love. Yeah, gay and in love and shit. So... You know what? It was really... It was a new feeling. It was more of the distraction issue, I feel. Like, yes, he seemed kind of homophobic, but... I think it was also just like, no, you need to watch the sheep. And I'm not hiring you to go fucking a tent. You can do that on your own time. I mean, which they eventually do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's not as fun. <laughs> okay, but what about the sex scene? TM. Yeah, maybe they did have more fun if they had lube. I hope they I hope they got lube. I don't think they did. Ugh. They probably used like Crisco or Vaseline or something. That's better than spit. I know. Spit gets so dry and sticky. Like, that's not even lube. You're making it worse. And I knew that that happened because that's, like, the joke that everyone makes um, <laughs> about this movie, which is kind of sad. Like, it's so much more than that. But um, it gets boiled down to, like, a anal spit as lube joke. Yeah. Because of homophobia. <laughs> To be fair, though, that was too wild. Like, you can't spit in your hand and have anal sex. Like, it's, it sounds awful. It sounds, like, not good. Just give each other hand jobs or something. Like, it's not that hard. No, because that's... your dicks in No, because that's gay. If it's anal... Was another man's butt? <laughs> you, you know, this... Don't shoot the messenger. <laughs> I'm just telling you what men believe. I feel like when you talk to a Catholic girl and she's like, no, I'm a virgin. I did it in the butt. It's fine. That It's exactly the same it's thing. It's not the same it's thing. Things, it's things that people tell themselves mm. to make them feel like, oh, my behavior is not like other people's behavior. It's I'm fine. not like other gays. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not really gay. I just did it this way. You know who's gay? The people that use their mouths and their hands. I can't. <laughs> I'm just telling you what I've heard. I think it's time to have the discussion. What's the discussion, TM? The discussion about the sexual orientation of these characters. Okay. Because this is what, and as someone that has never seen this movie before, I've encountered like random tidbits online of like people being like, they're gay, they're bi, they're only gay for each other, whatever people's opinions were. And I couldn't form an opinion because I hadn't seen it. But being someone that, analyzes what I consider to be like bisexual or non-monosexual media I was of course inclined to hope that these characters would be bi or one of them would be but I I reserved judgment until I had seen it and what I found interesting was when the movie was over I sat there for like a minute and I was like I think they're both gay 
Um, okay. That, that was my gut reaction. But now how do you feel? Well, I talked to Tyler briefly about it. Y'all remember Tyler from the Supernatural Drunk episode. Shout out to Tyler. Um, and he was like, <laughs> oh no, I think Ennis is bi. Which then... Which is Heath Ledger's character. Yeah. yeah. And I had seen other people say that Jack was bi. Um, I don't think I had seen many people say that Ennis was. So I was kind of surprised by that. But then it started to make sense to me. But then when I was thinking about Jack, that started to make sense to me of him <laughs> as bi. So then the conclusion that I kind of came to was that, like, in my heart, I feel like they could be bi or queer. Um, but that I think the film itself was trying to show them as gay, closeted gay men in the 60s, which is fair. Like, that might be just how they would act. I know that the person who wrote the short story worked with Ang Lee, like, to produce the film and, like, they helped pick locations and stuff. So... I'm assuming that she said, no, it's two gay men. Because if that's... It, it did feel to me that it was trying to portray that they were two gay men. Mm -hmm. So if that's what they were trying to portray, then canonically, like, that's what it is. However, in my heart, <laughs> I feel that Jack Twist, Jack Nasty, um, I feel like he is a bisexual. Because I feel like he was a little more open to women when encountering them. And I feel like he did have sexual feelings and romantic feelings even for his wife. But I feel like he was unfulfilled because he was in love with Ennis. And I don't feel like Ennis is the only man he was in love with because obviously he went around having sex with other men. But I also feel like he was a bad representation of a bi person because he had to have sex with another man behind his wife's back. Like I get, I kind of get cheating on someone if you're in love with someone else, but I don't get it if you're just like, I need to have sex with a dick. Which is what he was doing in Mexico. However, he specifically says at one point to Ennis that his sex life kind of sucks. Like he said, I forget what the exact wording was, but he basically said like they had a business relationship. Like because they yes. do work together too. And I know that sometimes if like a couple works together, they kind of like don't want to spend time with each other at home because they're like kind of sick of seeing each other. True. So I can, I can see where you're coming from on that, but I also feel like if you want to defend him you could say he's not being a bad bisexual and just cheating because he has to have sex with men it's more like my wife doesn't even really want to have sex with me and i miss the person that i'm in love with and he doesn't say that though when he talks about it he says you can't be mad at me for never getting for having something that i never hardly get specifically talking about men going down to mexico to fuck men mm. as a prostitute so mm -hmm. like He's not talking just about sex because you can go with any hooker. Like that's true. You're it's up to but you. But he's though. trying to get closer to the person he's in love with, and that's a little closer. Uh, I guess. I don't know, but I can see what you're saying, though. I mean, I can also see Ennis as a bisexual, but I guess in some ways I can't. I don't know. I guess maybe it's just the way he has sex with his wife, which I think was put in on purpose. Like, well, he, he doesn't want to fuck her because he doesn't want to see her. He wants to fuck her from behind. I also think that it it's a situation that many closeted people get put into where they're like, I better marry someone. I guess this person's fine. Yeah. So I don't think he was attracted to her. I think that was part of the problem. Like, I don't know that that necessarily excludes all women for him. I think he was just kind of like, she's fine, I guess. Like, I'll marry her, whatever. <laughs> um... Yeah. 
I mean, maybe. But what are your arguments for him being bisexual then? You have none? Yeah, I guess I have none. So you just felt in your heart? <laughs> what did Tyler say that convinced you? I don't even remember. <laughs> you should have wrote it down. I can't. I don't know. I guess that's the thing is like, I'm not saying I think he's for sure bi. I think like it can be seen either way. Because you could argue that he didn't leave his wife because he was scared and closeted and didn't know what else to do. So he felt like he had to stay with her. But I feel like at the same time, he could have made some excuse and just been like, I can't do this marriage and I need to leave. And he didn't do that, which makes me think that in some way he did love her and want to be with her. He just like if I feel like if he had never met Jack, he might have been perfectly happy with her. Like, he might not have been sexually fulfilled in every way, but I think... I don't feel that way. Yeah? I just I just see him as someone who just... Like, he was so supremely unhappy that he needed somebody to mask that. Like, if he didn't have her, then people would be asking him, like, why aren't you married? Why don't you have kids? And women would pursue him. I think she was a, a barricade between him and the rest of the world. And it was easy for him to be like, Oh yeah, I have two kids and I have a wife. Instead of just being like, "Oh yeah, I'm single," and they'd be like, "Why?" and he'd have to be like, "Oh, I can't tell anyone I'm gay." <laughs> like, yeah, that makes sense. I guess I don't know. I just I don't I don't <laughs> want to exclude it. Like I'm not excluding it. But again, he's like not a real person, so we'll never know. Yeah. Oh, can we talk about how Alma said my favorite line in the whole movie? <laughs> You, that line gives you so much joy. It's so stupid. I feel like you need to. It makes me so upset that somebody wrote it down and had an actress say it. Like, it's so cruel. Like, I... so a million years ago, Alma saw them making out in front of her house and she knew, like, for the majority of their marriage. And they would go on fishing trips, quote, unquote. And um, she, like, knew that they were going off to be together. And so she was, like, obviously really unhappy in their marriage. They ended up getting divorced. Um, after a few years of that chaos and um, after they were divorced there's a scene where Ennis goes to her house with her new husband and his kids and they're having Thanksgiving and they're in the kitchen just Ennis and Alma and she mentions that she like tricked him <laughs> like he took his tackle box with him and she put a little note on there that was like catch us a lot of fish or whatever and she opened the box when he got home from his fishing trip with Jack and the note was still in there on the fishing line. So he never went fishing and she knew that he never went fishing. And so she was like upset that like she was finally like telling him like, I know you're in a homosexual relationship with this other man. And instead of saying she could have said fucking anything like I'm not saying like I wanted an F-slur. I'm just saying that if you say Jack twist, Jack nasty, that's not a good comeback. Like, Alma, your insults suck. And maybe, like, pick it up a little. Go out on the street or something. I don't even, I don't even know. I think it's funny that you think that line's so funny. Like, it's funny, it's but you die every time anyone <laughs> says, like, any reference to it's that. It's hilarious. Tyler agrees with me. He thinks it's hilarious, too. Because it's just so stupid. <laughs> it's like a kindergartner, like, pointing a finger at you and being like, haha, Jack Nasty. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, yeah, it's kind of saying, like, he has cooties. 
So she's homophobic and she thinks Jack has cooties. Yes. Homo cooties. She is homophobic. Well, she totally slept with him afterwards, so she has homo cooties too. Yeah. <laughs> what else? Would, what did you expect her to do? <laughs> like, I kind of feel bad for her because... I do feel bad for her. She didn't ask for that. Yeah. But also, it's kind of on her that she never said anything until after they were already divorced. Right? I would have straight been like, excuse me, I saw you making out with your fishing buddy. Like, we are getting a divorce right now. Yeah. But I guess, like, people didn't really get divorced in the late 60s, early 70s. Especially not in Wyoming. Yeah, Can you true. imagine? True, 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 true. And she was always talking about, let's go to church. Let's go to the church thing. He was like, I don't think so. Yeah. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> One of my questions that I wrote down is, do you think that Laureen knew about them? Um, from the phone call at the end where she tells Ennis how Jack died, I think she knows because she's acting fucking salty about it. Like she's not acting sad. And they, in Ennis's mind, you see him flashing to this wildly violent homophobic act that he witnessed as a child. So he's thinking like, cause she's saying it's an accident. Like he got a flat, he wants to fix it. And some guys hit him or like the tire blew up. I think she said. And like the car jack flew back in his head and he, his skull was smashed in by it and he died in a puddle of his own blood. So she's like, it was a freak accident. And Ennis is like, there's no way that was a freak accident. Like I, he's, he's thinking like it has to be an act of homophobia. And I know it's meant to be like, vague on purpose like it could have been an act of homophobia it could have been an accident but I think her tone I think that's a lie that she's telling like it's very clear like she rehearsed it I didn't think that what we were seeing was a flashback to the homophobic violence he saw because I thought he didn't see that I thought he his father brought him to see the body right I thought he like they were showing us what actually happened to him. I thought, I thought that was Ennis imagining that's what happened to him. Oh, okay. I see. We interpreted it completely differently <laughs> then, because I interpreted it as she knows that that's what's that is what happened. She's choosing to say something else, but that doesn't necessarily mean that she believes that he was really gay. Like I think. She could have, like, that could have happened to him and she could have, like, made up some other reason why that would have happened. I think if she didn't know that he was gay or didn't suspect, she would have just said some guys beat him up and he died. Like, she would have just been like, I don't know, maybe he got in a bar fight or something. Mm. Okay. Because that seems, in like, they lived in Texas. So, like, in Texas, in the 60s and the 70s, if someone killed you in a bar fight, that doesn't seem far-fetched to me. Yeah, that's true. Um... So why do you think she told him that? Because he, he called. No, I'm saying why do you think she told him that his that where he wanted his ashes? I think that in her own little special way, that she did love him and she did care about him. Like they were together for a long time and they had kids together. And I think that he was good to her. Like as much as he cheated on her with other men, I think he was still like kind to her. Like he was a kind person and he was good to their kids. And he, like, there's a whole part where he, like, stands up for their family to her father, who's a controlling asshole. Um, so I think she valued him as a person. And I think she was like, yeah, his legacy deserves to go where it wants to, where he wanted it to be. Like, I don't think she hated him, 
but I think she's still upset. Like, maybe she didn't know that he was gay until he died, which would really suck. Like, if he just got homophobically killed and she was like, oh no, I'm finding out that my dead husband was gay the whole time. Yeah, I can see that being the case, like, why she was so upset. But, like, so coldly upset. Yeah. She wasn't, like, sobbing and being like, oh, I miss him so much or anything. She's just, like... she'd be, like, sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> she was like, and the tire iron flew back in his face. He died in a puddle of his own blood. I was like, why are you talking like that? Like, this is your husband. You can't do that. Yeah. Weirdo. <laughs> so my next question. Do you think that Ennis's daughter's knew what was going on do you think that alma told them or that they figured it out nah i don't think any of them knew what was going on mate like okay so i have questions about them like one minute he has two daughters and the next minute it's just alma jr like where's the other one no, when she gets like old? i think i think he has two daughters but like maybe one of them just like is, doesn't want to see him like is mad at him yeah because you know kids are like I'm mad because you left or Do you whatever. think maybe that's to, like, show, like, she's mad at him because she knows he's gay? And the other one's, like, I'll still talk to you? Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Because I thought that maybe, maybe their mother told them something about him. I don't know that she would do that considering she, like, barely confronted him about it. She but, really wanted to tell herself. <laughs> yeah. But, but they could have figured it out because it's not. They were fighting loudly yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah. It's not hard to figure out. So I was wondering if maybe... One of the daughters just couldn't handle that. And then the other one was like, no, it's fine. I still want a relationship. Maybe. Yeah. I think it's sweet that the last scene of him and his oldest daughter was like her saying, I want you to be at my wedding. Maybe that was to illustrate, yeah, like she still wants to be part of her life. And the other one just like is gone. And we're just not meant to talk about her. (laughs) I don't even remember her name. Me neither. (laughs) So did you have anything else? Um, I will say if you don't want to watch violent homophobia, don't watch this movie if you haven't seen it. Um, cause it's very violent. Like they show some like memory images of somebody being like beaten to death. And then like the whole thing of why Ennis is so scared to come out is because there were two gay guys that lived in the town he lived in. And they had, a, like, a ranch. And everyone suspected, but they never confirmed. And so some guys from the town targeted them. And they went and murdered one of them by beating him up and then attaching him to... I can't remember if he said, like, it was a vehicle or a horse. It might have been a horse. Yeah, I think it was a horse. By attaching him to the horse by his penis and dragging him around until it ripped off and he died. And they, like... His Ennis's dad took him and his brother down there to show him the dead body in like a gulch to be like, this is what happens to men like that. So like, no wonder he was terrified to come out. Like I get the hesitancy, <laughs> but it's very violent and you see like a bloated corpse with a ripped out penis. So like, don't watch it because you might not want to see that. The movie's not exactly like a feel good romantic comedy or anything. <laughs> oh yeah, no. <laughs> Because they themselves are homophobic mm-hmm. to each other. Internalize themselves. Yeah. Like when they fight and they literally like, they're getting in an argument as lovers and they get into a physical fight and beat each other up. That's wild to me. That's so masculine men. But again, like 
that has Dean and Cass written all over it. I mean, very true. They constantly are beating each other up, and they're like, this is because I care about you, <laughs> goddammit. That's where the shirt came from, by the way. That's how Ennis winds up with Jack's shirt, because they get in a fight, and he gets blood on the shirt, and they, I guess they take it off and they change their clothes before they come down there. And if you noticed, when they come down, Ennis says, I can't believe I left my friggin' shirt up there thinking that he left it there and Jack took it home with him the whole time. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's two shirts. One of them is Jack's that he was wearing when they fought and the other one is Ennis's that he was wearing and they have blood on them and Jack never washed it. He just kept it. And somehow, I don't know how, his parents have that shirt. It was like hidden in his childhood bedroom. But I was under the impression that Jack didn't live with them because he hated his dad by the time he went to Brokeback with Ennis. And then he was married. So is that maybe how Lorraine found out about it? She was like, why do you have this bloody shirt? Like going through all his old possessions and like gave them to his parents. I thought that, that his parents said that he had come back. And he just hid it there? <laughs> that he had come back for a while and I don't know. Oh, I... before he married her. Oh, no, no, no. No, I thought it was. No, it was after. After, yeah. Yeah. That he was going to leave her. Uh-huh. And he was going to be with. Some businessman, they said. And it was, uh, what is his name? I can't remember his, David Harbour, the guy that is his wife's friend's husband and oh, picks up on him right, when they're right, at right. like a function. Yeah, you're like right. you can't do that. They're outside smoking a cigarette together. And he's like, so I have this cabin up in the woods. You and I should go there sometime. Like, how did he spot him? Like, I, I don't know. Queers, no queers, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty wild. So it seemed like Jack had come back with that guy to be like, we're going to come out here and start a ranch. And it's not, it's not because he actually liked the guy. I don't think. I think he was yeah, just like was just... trying to fulfill his fantasy that he wasn't getting with Ennis. Yeah. So but... maybe that's why Lorene was salty because she, he was leaving her. And what do you think? Do you think she knew that, that he was leaving her for that man? <laughs> I don't know. It's complicated. What do you think Jack's parents thought? Oh, for sure his mom knew. Because his mom literally sent Ennis upstairs and was like, you have to go upstairs. And when he came downstairs, she had a bag ready for him to take that shirt home. That's true. Yeah. So she like knew. She knew, knew. And she wanted him to come back, I think, thinking that was all she had left of her kid. This man that possibly could know him in the way that she didn't know him. And I'm assuming like it's because his dad was super shitty and like pushed the kids away. Because he's hyper-masculine. <laughs> so do you think his dad knew or no? I think his dad knew and was pissed about it. Okay. Particularly because, like, I guess I never knew this. I didn't know this was a thing. In the whole movie, Rodeo is portrayed as being, like, flashy and gaudy and, like, fucking showboaty and, I guess, like, flamboyant. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that. I thought, like, Rodeo was something that, like, cowboys do. No, because it's part of, it's not part of the world of actually ranching and taking It's just like it. showboating? Yeah, it's okay. like you're not actually doing any work. Yeah, you're in like the show business you're like, industry. Yeah, you're yeah. like Hollywood cowboy. Yeah. So I guess like because he does that, like his dad was like, you're a queer, basically. Yeah, like you got to take care of a ranch and work the land instead of like getting on a horse and riding around or whatever. Like, I don't know. So I guess... <laughs> I'm pretty sure his dad knew and he was not happy about it because he didn't seem happy about any of it. Like he was just like, 
his ashes are not going to Brokeback Mountain. He's gonna be buried in the family plot where I'm gonna make him be buried. Like, listen, little bitch, I'll dig him up when I want to. <laughs> Catch me six feet under, bitch. Yeah, I was half expecting the wife to like sneakily <laughs> hand Ennis like a little a jar. Box. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? She's like, here's a paper bag with a box already in it and go home. <laughs> like, yeah. That would have been me trying to fulfill my kids' wishes. <laughs> <laughs> On a funny note, I have to say that I love Jack's lines. I think he's fucking funny. He is really funny. I love when he gets the lasso and he lassos Ennis when he's mad at him. That I think that's was cute. so cute. It's so cute. How could you not fall for him? Oh, and his dumb harmonica that his he's dumb playing. harmonica. And, like, you can tell Ennis finds it endearing and he, like, complains about it. Yeah. I love when they're arguing and he says, you know, friend, this is a goddamn bitch of an unsatisfactory situation. <laughs> I think it's so funny. And I know it's, like, a meme right now. And I think it's hilarious. And the other one he says is, son of a horse's bitch. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, why? Who comes up with this stuff? That's how cowboys complain. I don't apparently. think so. <laughs> I think it was just Jack being like a sheer goofball. Like, yeah, I just love him so much as a character. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> Ennis needs a little work, but at the I think at the end he's working on himself. Yeah, I think you grow to love him because you're like, oh, I just want him to find himself and like love himself. What a sad fucking movie. <laughs> oh, now are you broken about it? No, I'm not broken about it, but it was sad. It was very sad. Well, let's get to the ratings then. Um, you go first. Me? Yeah. <laughs> um, I would rate it a 8 out of 10. That's fair. I'd give it an 8.5. You always just are a little nicer than me. Just, it's just a, little a little bit. Like, I'm not going to give it a 9 because that's too wild, but 8.5. Okay. Which I think is being very generous considering all the like internalized homophobia and toxic masculinity we have to sit through through the whole movie. So now that we've talked about one sad movie, we're going to take a little break and we come when we come back we're going to talk about a less sad but still sad movie. Um, so we'll be right back. And we're back. Hi. We took like a long break. So we might sound... It was so long. I was convinced we should have taken a nap, but Hannah said no. So um, so we might be a little out of it at this point. Because <laughs> we need a nap now. And we did not get one. <laughs> We've had a long day. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to talk about a movie that... We decided to combine these two movies into this podcast because people are talking about them... In a similar way, I guess. Is they how are I would saying say they're very similar. Yeah. So. Um, so we're going to talk about God's Own Country, which is a 2017 movie. It's on Netflix as of this day. Um, I don't know <laughs> if they're going to take it off or what, but so don't quote me on that. But check it out if you have Netflix. <laughs> um, Sarah, tell us about this movie. Okay. So it's a 2017 film. It's 105 Minutes. It's written and directed by Francis Lee. Its budget was one million pounds, and it made 2.2 million pounds. It is described as a British drama about a sheep farmer in Yorkshire whose life is changed by a Romanian migrant worker who has been hired to help on his farm. Um, It won the World Cinema Directing Award at Sundance, 
It has a 99% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty good. Although I think it only has like 100 reviews or something like that. But still, it's still pretty good. Mm-hmm. And it has an 85 out of 100 on Metacritic. Um, Josh O'Connor stars as Johnny Saxby, who is the main character, and Alex Securano as Giorgi. Yes. Giorgi. I think I pronounced it no. right. Giorgi. 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 Yeah. Giorgi. Giorgi. Yeah. I wrote, I wrote it down phonetically and I forgot, y'all. Sorry, this was a week ago. We are podcasting late. <laughs> so basically, John is the main character and he lives with his grandmother and his father. Which we it took took us a while to figure that out because we thought it was like his grandparents. Yeah, his dad married. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird, but so his dad has clearly had a stroke before, which Hannah affectionately called this guy Grandpa Stroke, <laughs> um, AKA two canes, <laughs> because it's two canes. He walks with two canes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't. That she was just so casual about that. And as his father's health deteriorates and he's like in, he's clearly like in danger of having another stroke and he hasn't even recovered from the first one. Um, he, uh, John has to take on more responsibility for their sheep stuff. And he clearly doesn't really want to do it. Like he's just pressured. He feels like, oh, I have to take on this obligation. Um, and all the while, like he's clearly like a closeted gay person because he's like going... I mean he's not that closeted to each he like fucks guys in the town <laughs> like yeah but he seems really concerned about like anyone finding out I mean he has pretty extreme homophobia like internalized homophobia yeah. going on but like I don't think he's not like he doesn't go out and tell people he's out but I don't think he's really keeping it a secret because he's just going around fucking guys okay so he's semi-closeted serious internalized homophobia issues um, that could be from living in the country. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like in the first couple minutes of the movie, like he goes out and he just like hooks up with this random guy and it's, it's super weird. he doesn't, it doesn't seem good. Um, <laughs> he also is an alcoholic. Yeah. Um, he has a very serious like binge drinking issue. Um, like we don't necessarily see him like drinking every second of every day. But we do see him, like, go out and have a ton of drinks and then come home and just, like, be vomiting and being really sick. Yeah. And it's, like, a problem for him. Like, it's interfering with his ability to do work on the farm. Mm-hmm. It's very clear that he is a has a binge drinking problem. And they're... Like, I... They never... Not that they don't address it. Like, that's part of his problem. But it's never addressed as, like... Is someone going to get this high, this guy help? Like, he's just going to suffer? No, I think the the implication, I think, is that he was doing that because he was sad and he didn't have anyone to love. And now that he, at the end, spoiler alert, he has a man in his life, like, he'll be fine. I think is the implication there. That's wild. Yeah, I I had some issues with this film. Um, more, Although... more so than Brokeback Mountain, which is funny because yeah. it's like, that was 2005 and this is... 2017 that this was made yeah. also like Brokeback Mountain takes place in the 60s and 70s yeah like in America too I don't know the climate of like up fucking farms in Yorkshire or whatever yeah. that's true 
Is that how you say that, by the way? Is it Yorkshire? I'm not really... No, it's like... Yorkshire, I think. Okay. I'm not, like... I've never been to the UK. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um. If one of y'all can send me a ticket and I could learn the correct pronunciation, that would be chill. <laughs> I would like to do a tax write-off. Because um, <laughs> I have to learn this for my podcasting job. <laughs> so can I get a free ticket? Thanks. But also hotels and food. Yeah. And entertainment i can't do it unless you pay for it <laughs> um thanks anyway uh back to the movie now that we're done with sarah's vacation <laughs> um i don't know how would you characterize john like in the beginning of the movie i mean he's clearly an alcoholic he's tortured he's semi-closeted he's fucking sad like he's really sad but he's, he's also he's kind of rough. an asshole. Yeah, like, he's rough around the edges. Yeah. And, and he's kind of just kind of... I He's really selfish, mm-hmm. I think. Like, he he thinks his dad having a stroke, like, forces him to take care of the farm. And he's just, like, fucking pissed about it all the time. And then, like, he... There's, like, a whole part where he runs into, like, an old friend from high school, I think, I want to say. Yeah. And he, like, makes fun of her for being... Going to a college. He's like, oh, you fucking university people. You go off to your uni and you come back and you act like you know everything. And, like, he's just fucking so angry that he's not, like, stereotypically successful as his peers. And that he has to take care of the farm because his dad's sick. So he's pretty angry. And then Georgie. Mm Mm-hmm comes around nice sweet baby angel he's adorable he has this great sweater that he's always wearing (laughs) he's so hot he has some great facial hair Mm -hmm. he looks Um, soft in that sweater by the way he loves animals and he takes care of them and he's so sweet Mm -hmm. like whereas john like clearly takes care of the animals because it's what he has to do and he's just kind Mm -hmm. of like grudgingly like taking care of business like georgie um loves and cherishes Mm -hmm. every animal that he comes into contact with like Mm -hmm. he's so cute they end up raising this baby lamb because i guess the mother rejected it um or didn't make it i can't remember but it was like a runt and he like brought it back to life (laughs) he like carried it around inside his little sweater Mm -hmm. and they They had it in a little crate like uh, he he bottle fed it he loved that little lamb and it was so adorable and Um, then he did something really weird yeah. So don't watch, like, spoiler, don't watch this movie if you are not into seeing animals die. Because a lot of animals die in this movie. And, like, I'm that person that, like, I can't stand to see that, even if it's just in a movie and I know it's not really happening. Like, it still, it upsets me on another level. So I would advise you to, like, I don't know how to advise you when to look away, but if you see that something's about to happen, you're probably right in assuming that and go yeah. ahead and look away. Like, in the first, like, five minutes, an animal dies. Yeah. So. Um, maybe ten minutes. That might be ten. Because he goes and he fucks the guy and then he comes back and the cow has had a baby and it's it's dead. Well, no. He kills it. Oh, it's, like, almost dead. Yeah. And then he has to, like, put it out of its misery. Um, Although he does, this is interesting, he does say, I'll call the vet. To, like, see if they can revive it or they can take the cow away. And the dad is like, no, you know that we can't save it. He's like, just do it. And he, like, forces him to kill it. Yeah. It's really uncomfortable. 
And I guess that's supposed to be symbolic of something in their relationship, but it just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, but I think I think that was less about his own care for animals and more about, like, he didn't want to be in trouble. He was like, oh, maybe if we get a vet here and the cat doesn't die, then you won't hate me for, maybe like, walking out on my job. But I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, there's a weird part where um, Georgi, like, after the lamb has kind of grown up a little bit this other lamb dies of some like natural causes and he cuts the skin off of the lamb and puts it on the other the runt lamb like a little skin like a little sweater yeah he made him a little lamb sweater for the lamb (laughs) yeah it was really weird and then he like puts it buffalo build this lamb (laughs) (laughs) and he puts it with the the mother and because it's the it's because because it's her lamb's hide. She thinks that's her child. Yeah. And she will then accept the other lamb, the runt. But and he, it. it like shows him like skinning this lamb and it's really weird. They show the whole process and I didn't know that's how you skin a lamb. Just going to throw it out there. I didn't know what he was doing at first. I was like, what are you doing to its feet? And then I was like, oh no. Oh no. Yeah. So I looked away somewhere around the feet part. Yeah. Um, I looked away and then I looked back and I was like horrified. I was like, uh, I was like, gagging. It was really gross. Yeah. So just be aware of that part. Um, you can tell when it's about to happen. There's a dead lamb on the ground. Yeah. So at that point, look away. <laughs> look away. Don't look back until you hear the scene change. How about that? <laughs> exactly. Um. So from the beginning, they have a really tumultuous relationship because John doesn't want this guy to be here, which is funny because his whole thing is that he doesn't want to do the work on the farm because he feels like, oh, I don't want to do this. But then like, it's like, we don't need a helper. Yeah. He, he basically just doesn't want to socialize with anyone because he's insecure, I think is what his issue is. Yeah. Um, so this like adorable, sweet guy comes and. Then he just, like, casually keeps calling him racial slurs. Oh, yeah. He's Romani. And so, apparently, a racial slur against Romani people is thrown around. I don't know if I want to repeat that. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. I'm not going to repeat it. I've decided. (laughs) But there's a racial slur that's thrown around about Romani people, I guess, in the UK. Maybe we don't have enough Romani people in the area where I live in the US that I don't know about those kinds of things. He's very racist towards him and which I I'm kind of uncomfortable with the fact that that's also never brought up in the end. Kind of like the alcoholism thing. Like we just mm-hmm. never really like, okay, to be fair, Georgi, Georgi. Yeah. Yeah. He like the last, okay. He calls him the slur twice. And the second time he literally attacks him. Like he flies toward him <laughs> and beats him up, which is like, very Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> and, like, he doesn't do it again, but also that's not a... Com- See, this is where it gets to... It's men. This, this whole movie is, like, men, TM, <laughs> and how they interact with each other. Because I'm like, no, but you didn't have a conversation about it. But I guess for men, TM, that like is having a conversation. conversation. Yeah. Oh, you got beat up. Therefore, we have an unspoken contract that you won't call me a racial slur again. <laughs> like, it just doesn't seem... It's not kosher. <laughs> is what I'll, is what I'll say about that. Um, but there, I agree. There are many things in this movie that are not kosher, <laughs> like the sex scene. Oh my god, the sex scene is wild, but it's kind of hot. Yes, but it's so dirty. It gives well, me like ansias. <laughs> there's there's multiple ones. One of them's more uncomfortable than the other one. I think. Which one are you talking about? 
Um, the one outside when they're like yeah. wrestling around in the dirt, that's the uncomfortable one because it's so aggressive. But I guess gay men probably are really into that. They're like in the mud fucking like, like pigs. Like it's so Yeah, wild. and that's like supposed to be the whole thing and they're out in the wilderness and they're being wild, like the animals that they take care of or whatever. <laughs> the animals. Like the I, that. It was it was weird for me. Um I agree. It wasn't bad like it wasn't like I was purely grossed out i'll say that but it wasn't anything compared to when they're in are we gonna call it the barn like it's like a little stone house see we are not a stable we're not farm people yeah we don't know what these things are called i think it's a stable okay a stable so (laughs) they're in they're in a little stable and then they have like a really i won't say romantic because they're not really romantic at that per point, se. per se, but it's very intimate. It's yes. much more intimate than the wild, in the mud nonsense that they were doing before. Yeah. I can't. I wrote something down when we were watching this, and you said it, Hannah. I can't. Okay, so after they had mud sex, <laughs> sometime later, I don't remember if it's during that scene or not, but like, I think it was Georgie who tried to kiss Johnny. And then he was like, oh, no, we can't kiss. And you literally said, you can kiss someone with your whole ass esophagus, but not on the mouth. Because <laughs> he was sucking his dick out in the mud. Like, and he was being wild about it. He was, being, like, he was like, very wildly sucking his dick. Yeah. So that's where that came from. So I, you can put someone's whole dick in your esophagus, but you can't kiss them on the mouth. Because that would be gay, Sarah. <laughs> It's so weird. Guys are so weird. So it's just the same thing as Brokeback Mountain, basically. <laughs> it's like, no, because if it's, it's so uncomfortable. If it's just anal, then it's fine, apparently. But don't kiss on the mouth. No, no, that's the line. <laughs> to be fair, in Brokeback Mountain, they have like a tender kiss after they've had sex. When they have, when they're like, they're trying to have sex again at a different time. Yeah. And it's like, you can see the white of the tent and it's soft lighting. So it's clear that it's, like, different. It's a different situation. Yeah. And in this story, in God's Own Country, John and Georgi have, like, really intimate moments. And I think they're, like, really couple And they do get kind of romantic later on in the movie. But, of course, it's a movie. So they ultimately get torn apart. And then, spoiler alert, they come back together. <laughs> I just, there's, like, a lot of parallels between these two movies, though. Like... It's exactly the same, like, premise. Like, they're up taking care of sheep up in the (laughs) wilderness. Um, They have to, like, sleep next to one another. They have to bathe in front of one another. Like, in both movies, there's, like, a very, like, important scene of one of them, like, bathing their genitals genitals in front of the other one. Um, And that's, like, a super important turning point or something. (laughs) Um, Again, men, TM. Um, They're... In both films, both of them are very, like, internalized homophobia everywhere. Mm-hmm. I wrote down just casually calling each other the F-slur by the fire. Oh, um, yeah. Like, they do that as, like, um, it becomes, like, a cutesy little thing they do. Like, at the end of the film, they're like, yeah, F-slur. Like, <laughs> like to <laughs> get it. You know how in, like romantic movies, whether it's drama or comedy, like, it tends to be more of a comedy thing, but, like, 
a couple will have like a cutesy thing that they say back and forth to each other and it's like supposed to remind them of like their whole relationship so like the only example that's coming to mind right now is in preacher um jesse and uh tulip say till the end of the world right and then the other one will say till the end of the world and that's like their little thing to be like we're together we're a couple <laughs> i was thinking faults in our stars and um, they're like okay okay <laughs> yeah so it that becomes like one calls the other one a freak the other calls the other one an f slur <laughs> and then i forget what the last part is but they basically just that's, that's it <laughs> that's their whole thing and then they like smile and make out because they think it's great to call each other the f slur apparently. i don't know it's like a little inside joke that makes them feel warm and fuzzy inside i guess they're like internalized homophobia we share it <laughs> um there's also a part where um oh like in both movies they have to sleep next to each other like it's required like something pushes them to sleep next to each other so in Brokeback, it's because it's so cold out, he has to sleep in the tent with Jack. Which we were both commenting, like, is the beginning of every fan fiction <laughs> ever. Yeah. And then in God's Own Country, like, they have nowhere else to sleep but next to each other in the stable and the lamb. <laughs> you know, when you just sleep next to your buddy and you start fucking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm so fucking casual. I wish, as your friend that has slept next to you, I wish you wouldn't say that to me. <laughs> I was being facetious. Um, <laughs> Thank God. But that's another, like, men thing, I think. Um, because I think I think men also project that onto women. Because if you're watching any sort of movie with a male gaze in which they want you to think that two women are sexually involved with one another, it, like, starts with them, like doing things that men view as super intimate, but women might not view as super intimate. Yeah. Like, it's like, ooh, she's or... taking off her shirt and putting on another shirt. How sexual. And it's like, no, like, people do that. Like, <laughs> just because we're not, like, really homophobic men doesn't mean, you know. Yeah. Or, like, sleeping next to one another or even, like, leaning on one another like men don't do that so they would be like oh, they're in a relationship and it's like no they're just leaning on one another yeah exactly so i think that's what i was maybe i was just like i see that yeah because <laughs> apparently if you sleep next to one another it's just like oh we gotta fuck now i can't that's how it is what about the spitting in the hand thing and the wound okay what the fuck is that should we have googled that i think we should have googled it this is too kinky for me <laughs> as um, the woman who <laughs> Sarah's not gonna finish that sentence. I'm not gonna finish that sentence. Um, so this whole thing happens where they're like moving all these stones. I don't really get why, like I guess to block the sheep in somewhere. It's supposed to be a fence. Yeah. Okay. And so... like he never finished it and the dad was like, You never finished the fucking fence. <laughs> so they're moving these rocks. They're pretty big, heavy, they're jagged, and then um John cuts his hand on one of the rocks and it's bleeding and he's like, Oh fuck. Um and he just was it he did John spit in his own hand at first? Is that mm -hmm. what happened? No. Okay, he tell me what like, happened. He was just like, My hand, ow. And Georgie just grabs his hand and fucking spits in it and I guess like I was just I was just reading and I do remember this from childhood that like supposedly spit is good for wounds 
And I guess like it's scientifically proven that yes, it can be, but not always. It just depends how much bacteria you already have in your mouth. Yeah. Have you heard um, spit and rub dirt on it? That's what that, <laughs> that's what that's for. That's gross. So um, I guess they're saying like, oh, he's from rural Romania. So he believes in wives tales like that where he's just like spit in the hand. No more. But <laughs> every time he does it and he does do it multiple times. It's so sexual. It's incredibly sexual. It's not like, oh, we have to do this to prevent infection. No. Mm-hmm. Like. No, the second time he does it, he doesn't spit. He grabs his hand to say like, how's your wound healing? And then he's like, oh, here it is. And he licks his hand. Like you can't just straight lick somebody's hand. Licking their wound. That's like gross. it's just very. Yeah. You know what? I'm not kink shaming them. They can live their best life. But again, with the men and wounds thing. Like, are they saying, like, men love to be taken care of? Like, that's... I don't know if that's supposed to be, like, oh, look at them being so vulnerable. Like, he has a wound and he's letting this other guy, like, look at his wound. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And I, I think maybe that's what it is because John is, like, specifically a very not vulnerable person. Like, he's very closed off and he is... he fears being seen as weak which is why he never like talks about how he's really upset about his dad's stroke and he's upset about the stress from running the farm and he's upset about being an alcoholic maybe and not being able to live his own life yeah like he has a lot of issues that he never talks about and the first time that he really opens up to anyone is when his father has a second stroke and he has to go to the hospital to see him and before his father has really woken up, um, Georgi asks, well, did you talk to the doctors? Like, don't you want to talk to them to see what's going on? And he says, no, what if they say something that I don't want to hear? Mm-hmm. And he's really upset. And that's the first time that we see him being soft and vulnerable and expressing that he's scared about something, which he never did before. Um, and that's like way into the movie. Like it's very far off. And I think like that's where like the whole like the description was like this guy comes into his life and changes him. And I think it has shown him maybe that men can be vulnerable with one another because his father like does nothing but complain at him. Like he's just kind of an asshole to him, like, oh you're not good enough, you're not doing this right, you can't do this, etc. 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 So like I think that's him being like, I didn't know that men can be this vulnerable with one another, and therefore I get to be vulnerable with you. And I only think that because when they're having that conversation, Georgi puts his hand on his and he like rubs his fingers from across the table, which is like a very intimate gesture in their public. And then later on when he goes to see his stroke dad <laughs> um, in the bed, his dad is like unconscious, he's asleep, and he does the same thing to his dad. Mm -hmm. He puts his hand on his hand and like, you've never seen him in the whole movie act like he even gives a shit about his dad, let alone pet his dad's hand. Yeah. So it was definitely like this. Look at this. First it was, look at this guy. He can be soft with animals. He's gentle. And then like, Oh, this guy can be soft with me after he was rough with him. Let's be real. I mean, he wanted that first, (laughs) but So he sees, like, the full spectrum of humanity within men, which he had never seen before. And his dad later, like, grows to see that himself and appreciate that. Because when he has the second stroke, when he goes home, he can't walk or do anything anymore. He can't take care of himself. So his own old mother is feeding him 
and his own old mother is going to give him a sponge bath in the bathtub and out of like kindness and like trying to preserve his father's pride Johnny's like oh just let me bathe him I'll do it because he doesn't want his mom to have to bathe him which seems like a prideful man thing mm. and then he ends up bathing him and the dad says like thank you like thank you for doing yeah this. and then at the end doesn't he say I'm proud of you he says something like yeah. that and it's like I think that's the at the end it seems like an allusion to the fact that he knows that he was in a relationship with that guy yeah like, he was like, because oh, he says, does it make you happy? And I'm like, does what make him happy? Because they never explicitly say. Yeah. Because they're, at first they're just talking about the farm. And then he's like, does it make you happy? And then he's like, yes. And he's like, I have to go get him. <laughs> it's just like, was that you're coming out? Like, I guess. I don't know. No, his coming, out, his coming out to his grandmother was when she found a used condom on his floor. Oh, yeah. My note on that is she found the used condom and she picked it up and flushed it on the toilet. First of all, bad for your plumbing. Second of all... Especially you live on a farm. I called her grandma nasty. You, you have... <laughs> yes. You have wild... What is it called? A like, septic tank. A septic tank. Yeah. You can't be flushing <laughs> shit like that down the toilet. It's just gonna pile up. Also, that seems more awkward because then he knows that you saw it. Why wouldn't you just leave it where you found it? Yeah. Let him mind your business, it. Grandma Nasty. <laughs> uh, she just has to do his laundry for him. Farm woman. See, if you do your own laundry, then you can be saved a really awkward situation. Yeah. At least they use protection. Yeah, Not like the first time. That's great. Um, they were just fucking in the mud you do what you gotta do Sarah <laughs> um, oh my god okay and then another um, Brokeback Mountain parallel um, after they get in a big fight and Georgie leaves um, he left his green coveralls like hanging in the barn like he used to wear those when he took care of the animals mm-hmm. and John, like, goes up to it and, like, touches it and is, like, staring wistfully into the distance, like, oh, I wish I wasn't such an asshole, because then he would still be here. (laughs) I don't think that's what he was thinking. (laughs) Okay, but what about when he goes in Georgie's RV later, and he, like, finds the sweater and hugs it? Yeah, he finds the sweater and holds it to him, and, yeah. No, it's it's a clear, direct reference. Yeah. So. He'll just... Smell it and say, God, I wish I wasn't such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Mm, okay. Can we talk about the way that he's trying to binge drink and Georgie's like, uh, no, thank you. And he's like, oh, well, that means I got to fuck some guy in the bathroom. I can't. Like, what kind of response is that? A man response. I mean, he did just say, like, I can't stay here and, like, help your whole life. <laughs> like, Which is fair. Yeah. But. So he was sad about the fact that his new boyfriend that he was making a future with in his head didn't think that he could stay there at the farm. It basically made him regress in all his progress that he made. Yeah. He went back to like, oh, I got to go be rough with some guy in the bathroom now and binge drink because that's his only coping mechanism that he has. And then basically Georgie became his coping mechanism and he was about to get that taken away from him. Yeah. Um, so, so then Georgie like encounters some racism at the bar and the lady kicks him out and he goes to get Johnny out of the bathroom and it turns out Johnny's fucking some guy in there right during their time. Like I can't, it's not like they're in a club and he would never catch him. 
It's like a small hole-in-the-wall pub in a little ranch town. There's like four people in there. Yeah, but it's just, it's such, it's like such immature, insecure man logic to be like, oh, I guess you don't want me then, so I better go fuck someone else. That'll show you. (laughs) And it does show him his true colors. (laughs) And he leaves Johnny like the asshole that he is. No, that's what I'm saying. That's why he went back to the trailer. He's like, I wish I wasn't such an asshole. (laughs) But he does get him back. And at the end of the movie, they're holding hands and they walk back into the house on the ranch together. So it has a much happier ending than Brokeback Mountain, clearly. I mean, that's true. But like, who's to say one of them doesn't come up and get killed later? Sarah. I'm just saying. <laughs> they were pretty racist. I can't imagine that they were not homophobic. Yeah, that's true. And and they're in a mixed race uh, relationship. Like, yeah. good luck with that. Um, although they are like out in the middle of nowhere, so who's gonna who's gonna know? Um, who's gonna come all the way up there? <laughs> yeah. But that's but then there's my issue of like, okay, so the alcoholism was never really addressed. Yeah, like, there was the racism on like, any side. Yeah. Like he's just still gonna be an alcoholic and he's still like just because he's not calling him a racial slur anymore doesn't mean he doesn't hold those beliefs deep down like just because you fucked someone of another race doesn't mean you suddenly aren't racist like that's i feel like maybe okay because i feel like instantly he was attracted to him Mm -hmm. and he knew something could go on with him but he didn't want to be because of internalized homophobia so I feel like he knows that's a racial slur that you throw at Romani people. So he was just like, I'm just going to call you that to distance myself from you. Like, I don't know if he actually believes that. Like the same way, like if you knew the N word and you didn't want to be close to someone that was black, like if you were like stupid enough and like so self-involved that you thought you could just be a racist and it wouldn't matter, like there were no consequences, you might do that. Like you don't have to hold racist beliefs to use the word against someone for a different reason that's true but again no conversation i know there's no conversation to prove that like i i'm 100 percent. i'm like 85 percent convinced that he really does believe those racist things because of where he was raised and because he's white Mm -hmm. like there's just no way that the pub lady and everyone else in that town is calling this romani guy racial slurs and he doesn't believe that i just it's I'm not convinced. Especially because of his attitude towards people that went to university, which is generally, like, associated with learning about systems of oppression and... And, like, other people. And he was like, oh, you went to learn things. Like, clearly he doesn't hold that as a value. (laughs) So. Like, it's possible that he's not a racist, but inside he's probably a racist. Yeah. (laughs) Just throwing it out there. So I just wish that they had... I actually wrote down in my note, uh, my notes, why can't men just talk to each other? I think you know the answer to that. And there's very (laughs) little dialogue in this whole movie, to be honest. Like, it's a lot of just weird sex and silence. Um, Animal killing. Lots of weird animal stuff. And, I don't know. Some quiet scenes. I like the, the coloring, like the tone and the palette of the movie. There's, like, some great symbolism, like, towards the beginning, there's, like, a, a, they cut to, like, a bird in a cage, and then towards the end, they cut to, like, a dead butterfly on a windowsill, and it's, like... Womp womp. Yeah. It's very (laughs) symbolic. I don't like butterflies, though, so we can just edit that right out. 
That's right. Y'all heard me. I hate butterflies. They're scary. <laughs> they, just because they taste with their feet. They taste with their feet and that freaks me out because if they land on you, they're tasting you. They enjoy the taste of blood. That's fucking freaky. This is why I really need you to <laughs> to stick with Under the Dome so you can get to the part with the butterflies that yeah. literally, like, bite people and suck their blood. They're scary. Plus, they're bugs with big-ass wings. They can try and trick me with their little mosaic wings all they want, mm-hmm. but... Their little fake eyes on their wings. Oh my god, they're horrifying. But they're really just a flying bug. No, thank you. Okay, but in literary context, they represent <laughs> transformation... Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, they weren't like, let's put this in to scare Sarah. <laughs> I think they did. Um, All of the animal killings and the butterflies. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the animal killings felt like a personal attack. Yeah. Like, oh, you just want to enjoy a nice gay movie? <laughs> Too bad you have to watch animals get skinned. Mm, that's great. Um, <laughs> the price we pay for gay movies. Yeah, for real. All right, let's rate this one. Wait, I just have one more note. Okay. I just need to tell you what I wrote down next to, like, the F-slur and then the response of fuck off F-slur. I wrote, okay, rough gay John Green. <laughs> yeah. I just, uh... past me, had my back. <laughs> yeah, that's when I wrote down just casually calling each other the F-slur by the fire. <laughs> like, it was when they were being all like, oh, we're, we're friends now. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. I can't. I don't know. Anyway, okay, so rating? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we're going to rate this one out of 10. I went first last time, so you go first this time. Ugh. Okay. Um, I'm going to give it a 7.5. What do you give it? Um, I'm going to go with a 7. I'm always, <laughs> I'm always just 0.5. <laughs> Under whatever Sarah said. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> it, it like it held my attention, and it and there were parts of it that were really beautiful, and mm-hmm. I think I'm I think I'm just like giving it a little less than you because I guess I'll be that asshole that's like it wasn't very deep. It wasn't very deep. Yeah. So yeah, we talked about that before. We're like, how long do you think we're gonna be recording this next part of the podcast? And I was like, not long. It wasn't that deep, TBH. Like, yeah, like it's compared to Brokeback Mountain, which I feel like there's a lot underneath the surface, like in between the lines. There's not quite as much in between the lines of this one. Yeah, I agree. I guess the happy note to end on is that we're going to Target. I love Target. I love it too. And like, I know it's bougie, but it's also funny because I remember being like dragged to Target as a kid, like. Because shop, you know, everyone knows shopping with your mom is like a different experience than shopping with a friend. Mm-hmm. But I just remember being like, we would only be in there for like 45 minutes, but it would feel like four hours. Like I wanted <laughs> to get out of there. But now I can go with you and spend four hours and it feels like 45 minutes. It's true. How the tables. Is this growing up? <laughs> yeah, I guess this is being an adult. It's like going to Target and being like, I want to. buying socks. <laughs> I want to stay here for four hours and look at socks. <laughs> I was in that underwear department for so long, Sarah, and I did not find what I wanted. To be fair, she bought underwear and she hates them, so. I'm taking them back. I loved my underwear. I told you to just get the plain ones. I'm just on you a quest. You have to get fancy. Yeah. No, I, we'll see how that goes. Um, see, this is, this wasn't even really a great, like a happy note. It was just like a medium note. I think for people our age, like going to Target is a great note. Okay. So, Target trip. Yes. <laughs>
Um, another happy note, I guess. Um, we had Afters ice cream today. Too. It was delicious, by the way. Um, we were going to have frozen yogurt, which is only like marginally healthy, especially because I dump like all the toppings onto it and have like one teaspoon of actual froyo and the rest of it's just candy. Um, but Sarah opened her big mouth and said, oh, I didn't know they put an afters right there. And I swerved into the turning lane yeah. and turned into She basically like lot. made a U-turn like in the middle of the street just to go over there. I mean... She's very extra about ice cream. And I, dessert in general. I love afters, though. That milk and cereal ice cream just... I have the cookie butter one, and not that I don't like cookie butter, but, like, I think it's just okay. Like, everyone's, like, nutso about it. I really don't care either way. It's fine. It tastes good. That's all. But the ice cream was really good. It has chunks of cookie in it. See, I made a good decision on your behalf. Yeah, that's true. But now I'm still craving Froyo, because, like, I had been craving Froyo. I mean, if we get Froyo after we already had ice cream, <laughs> who is going to stop us? Mm, you're right. I can feel Tyler listening to this podcast through some connection that we have telepathically, and he's saying, get Froyo later. But he's also saying, I can't believe you're going to... Get Froyo without me? You're going to get Froyo without me after you got afters without me. <laughs> he's like, why don't we ever have any double, days? Double we... dessert days? Yeah. So we had afters for dinner, is what we're trying to tell y'all. And on that note, we should stop talking, because we've been talking about nothing for quite some time yeah, now. Yeah, y'all don't care about our lives. <laughs> um, we're, we're not even sure that you care about the movies we review. <laughs> we just do this for fun. Yeah, this is fun. Uh, <laughs> let's not open that door. Don't open that can. Uh, enjoy going to Target if you're doing so. Um, eating ice cream or Froyo, the little things in life. And in the meantime, remember, the queers are watching. Goodbye. Bye.